Hello, and welcome to the AIPT Comics Podcast. I am your host, Forrest, with two R's. Dave is out this week. This is the number one comics podcast for AIPTComics.com, and I am joined by... Uh, this is Nathan with two N's, one on either side of my name. Did I do that right? I am unfortunately going to have to let you know that that is my intellectual property. <laughs> um, um, okay. No, we're very excited to have you. Um, Nathan, what do you Fantastic. do for us? What do you do for, um, what do you do for me do... personally? For you personally, uh, well, I've been uh, chatting with you for a little bit now, um, and uh, I think I'm your new gossip buddy, so yes. that's cool. Um, get all the hot goss. Um, the uh, For AIPT, I do uh, mostly comic reviews and occasional uh, editorials. I just did a, a review of the new Swamp Thing pilot, which I'm very excited about, and an overview of all the... Uh, Swamp Thing TV shows, movies, so a little bit of, uh, basically if it's uh, comic related, I will grab it, or if it's 80s nostalgia related, I'm very excited. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to um, particularly shout out your Doom Patrol reviews, because um, oh, I, I really loved them. I really loved the show, and I really loved um, every week reading your reviews for them as well. Ah, so, so fun. If, if y'all have been watching that or catching up on it after I shout casted about how good it was on this very show a couple of times. Um, Nathan <laughs> yeah. has written a number of reviews for AIPTcomics.com, mm-hmm. I think every episode, right? And also now yes. the first episode of Swamp Thing. Yeah, yes. so um, definitely yeah, check those I'm, out. Uh, I take pride in, uh, I think I might be the only person reviewing DC Universe shows that pays for my subscription. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I saw a uh. really good, um, I think it was Onion article that was like, the AV Club is launching a GoFundMe for $7 for <laughs> yeah. DC Universe the, subscription. Yeah, AV Club looking for someone with a subscription that they can use yeah. to review. That You know, that drives me crazy. Uh, every time I see a uh, like a sponsored ad for DCU on Instagram or, or Facebook or something, all of the comments are, where can I watch this? This looks really cool. And like, or, or is this on Netflix? Right. It's, right. it's very, there's uh, still haven't gotten the word out and uh, it's distressing. <laughs> well, I would um, be remiss to not mention that they need a fucking PS4 app. So. Yeah, no kidding. I saw Gail Simone complaining about that on Twitter the other day. She yeah, was just like, why Xbox... is this so difficult? I think the Xbox One app comes out like this month. Mm-hmm. And they just have no timeline for a PS4 or Switch app. Obviously, obviously well, there's very the, few for Switch, but still. The interface is pretty rough, too, especially on the... I've got it on the Amazon Fire Stick, and it literally is like, unless I search for the thing I specifically want, I'm not going to find it. Which is a bummer, because they've got thousands of comics on there. Right. It's a great value for your money. That's it is. A, and, it is. And they haven't paid us to say this. No, they have not. Um, but they have paid me personally no i'm just kidding mm. um to say that you are definitely very qualified to talk about our first piece of news oh which cool is that dc has announced that batwoman catwoman spinning out of uh-huh. tom king's batman series will yes. start in january 2020 which also means that tom king is officially off of batman at issue number 85 which is wild um i'm really excited for this uh it's interesting because I I, I think uh, there's a very leisurely pace to Tom King's Batman, which uh, I know is either something that people love about it or something that really bums them out because they want to you know more punch ups. Uh, but uh, it the idea of kind of putting him on a um, 
I guess a set number of issues, maybe it'll make the uh, the story move along a little faster, or uh, it'll be interesting because it, it, it's 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 picking up after City of Bane ends, right? Yes, um, I okay. think that that will be uh, arguably the arc that they're in now will just go all the way to issue eighty five, which is right. a little bit of a longer arc than normal. Y- yeah, um, City of Bane was supposed to run, I think, like fifteen issues on its own or something. It's like the um, oh, okay, so it is kind of in line with what they were saying originally. I think so. Yeah, because it, it what it reminds me of is that the kind of like long term uh, payoffs that. Uh, it's kind of like James Robinson's Starman in the '90s. Like the the last arc of that was like this year long storyline that was just like a city at war, and uh, it, that's kind of what I'm hoping to get out of City of Bane is is uh, you know all the all the threads kind of coming together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think so too. Um, or I'm hopeful for that at least. Yes. It seems like that's what it's building towards, right? At the very it, it does least. make yeah, and it does make me feel a lot better about it because when the news came out that he was, you know, probably off of Batman, I was so bummed because it, it he's planted so many seeds that I it would have been a shame to not see it all it, it, to either see it condensed or you know, not see it pay off at all. But this way, it looks like... Because he was originally planning on going through issue 100 on Batman, correct? 105, I think. 105? Which is a, okay, a weird so number, arguably, anyway. But Very yeah. strange. Well, it's kind of like uh, Snyder writing up to 50, and then like, oh, I guess I'll you know see the next creative team in, or whatever. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. So it's like a, like handing it off. So yeah. this will be a good way. I mean, he'll still more or less get the almost 100-issue mark with Batman Catwoman, mm-hmm. but he'll be able to... I mean, clearly the the Batman Catwoman relationship is the heart of that book. So, right, uh, and it almost seems like he wanted to tell that story so much so on its own, or that sure. it didn't really fit into the larger Bane meta story that they were kind right. of like, can we break this out and tell it separately? Um, and, and that's I, something I think yeah. DC's really really good at. I've said this in the past. I think when we were talking about the Eisner nominations, um, I referred right. to it as kind of like patron art right like a creator will come to dc and say i have a very specific confined or finite story that i want to tell it's about this character and this character and here's the beginning middle and end and (laughs) dc will say all right here's batman white knight being reprinted for black label fully collected or whatever it is almost elseworld tales but kind of also fitting into the larger conversation Mm -hmm. for that character Mm -hmm. um king has been wanting to do that specifically about Batman and Catwoman so obviously with Batman but I think that the Bane storyline gets in the way it does and it's I mean it's also kind of uh tying into year of the villain so I think there's a little bit of mm. of that mm-hmm. kind of like leading it astray but you know it, I'm hoping Batman Catwoman can kind of be King's all-star Batman you know the uh Scott Snyder's series that just kind of took um you know, it wasn't necessarily out of continuity, but you didn't have to have Wikipedia open to follow, you know, all of these right, stories. Right. You just um, have to have an entry point for the characters. And maybe right, it will exactly. even be that issue 85 of Batman teased that up perfectly. I don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out, though, for sure. Yeah. Um, the artist on that will be Clay Mann, which I am admittedly uh-huh. a little less excited for. Right. Um, okay. I thought that the male gaze service in Heroes in Crisis was pretty egregious. And when you've got a main, you know, one of the title characters running around the leather skin tight suit, and, right? You know, you can decide which one I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that how that how that actually uh, one of those I'd be pretty down for because we don't get okay. enough of that. 
No, there's not enough beefcake Batman. Well, no, you know what? I take that back. Tom King is uh, his run on Batman has supplied quite a bit of beefcake. Actually, um, there's uh, lots, lots of naked Bane, lots of naked Batman. The the obvious flip side here that we're talking around is Selena. I yes. just I I think <laughs> that there's going to be some pretty egregious chances to set up some TNA service for Catwoman that I'm not That's... necessarily looking forward to. Especially since this book is uh, supposedly, from what I read, Batman Catwoman's going to run concurrently with Joelle Jones' Catwoman, mm, uh, mm-hmm. and I and I and I would love to see you know two positive portrayals of Catwoman, you know, <laughs> in the same you know same month, you know. Yeah, I, I the, that Joelle Jones series is so fun. Yeah, yeah, um, and then just as a final word on it, King mm-hmm. said about it. Batwoman and Catwoman is a chance to do what Morrison and Quietly did in Batman and Robin, launch an ambitious, accessible, beautiful, thrilling new series that concludes years of stories and defines what Batman is, can, and will be. This will be a comic about what the best Batman comics have always been about, how our great hero turns fear into bravery, pain into hope, trauma Mm. into love. It's the story I always wanted to tell, and I'm telling it with the man I consider to be the greatest artist in comics, my brother Clay Mann. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that that has me very excited. Uh, I, mean, I mean, genuinely, because, I mean, I, I know that the original plan, he, he said, by the end of my run, I'll have changed Batman forever. forever. Right. And, and, you know, that's the kind of hyperbole you get in comics all the time, but then <laughs> when we hear... That he's you know being taken off the book, quote unquote. We begin, you know, you get that fear of oh, he had something planned that DC is not psyched about, you know, right? That, you know, that's that's what you feel. And so, I mean, th- does this book end with Bat married Batman, which I'm actually really into? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like he had to get a lot of buy-in. I know he uh-huh. said recently that he was talking to like Warner Brothers and stuff. Right. Yeah. And I doubt he that that was about sure... the recently announced yeah. New Gods um, that he's sure. writing, but the the movie. Um, I doubt that right, there right. was that because he was talking ostensibly about Batman. Yeah. Um, so I I would assume so. It also ties really well into our next piece of mo- news. Yes. Moos. Um, news for Moos. cows. Yeah. Um, DC told realers, retailers that they're going to stop double shipping books in 2020. Yeah. Now, I have a little bit of a conspiracy theory about this, but I want to get your take first. Well, to me, you know, I don't really... It's kind of interesting because I don't know exactly why they would go to that other than, you know, to, to sort of, uh, I guess... Hang on. <laughs> One sec. So uh, on the one hand, this is kind of a bummer uh, for the kind of rapid fire storytelling in books like Justice League, mm-hmm. um, and but uh, and the leisurely pace of Batman because like the you know Tom King's Batman is kind of uh, it take it definitely takes its time you know whether or not you're a fan of that kind of storytelling, I think it's easier to do a book like that when you know you've got two books coming out in a month so you're not feeling like Absolutely. no one's finishing no one's finishing this book and they're like okay nothing happened this month right um but on the other hand it it is uh it's also easier on the wallet so there's a there's <laughs> sure. a part of me as a collector that's very happy about you know maybe having less of a uh 
less of a budgetary strain. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah. I think to your point about the leisurely pace, um, mm-hmm. ostensibly, I'm using that word a lot. I'm sorry. I think no, the, I like it. The, <laughs> the big problem with the Batman book, um, and I am excited for Batman, Woman, Catwoman, and I have enjoyed some of King's Batman. Did you say Batwoman, Catwoman? Yeah, that would be a better book. Um, I would read that all day. Ba- Batman, <laughs> Catwoman. Um, yes. I'm excited for, and I have enjoyed elements of King's Batman. Sure. Uh-huh. More so than a lot of the ire I've seen and the people that he has to report for death threats and stuff like that. I have enjoyed it uh, much yeah. more than those masses. Sure. Um, but I will say that, yeah, some months I walk away like, this is really slow. I don't mm-hmm. get it. I struggle with it. In hindsight, like a month later, I'm like, wow, this issue makes sense now. But that's a lot of – that's a long time for comic fans. It, I've read the whole run in trades. So I, I feel like, again, like that's the that's the strength in double shipping that book mm-hmm. because there's so much that will – especially with this latest uh, The Nightmare Run, there's so much that feels – uh, inexplicable unless you're reading them, you know, boom, one after another. Which is how they were obviously scripted, right? Exactly. Yeah, for but sure. I think DC looking at that Batman story that's being told for sure and mm-hmm. looking at the fan backlash to that Batman story, which again, I don't think that either of us is necessarily owning and I don't think a lot of critics are owning, but a lot mm-hmm. of fans are saying, we don't like mm-hmm. this. Sure. Oh, I remember seeing people complaining, like, I can't believe you spent two issues on the origin of Kite Man. And right. I was like, I can't believe it took 40 issues to see the origin of Kite Man. Like, I was, right. yeah. <laughs> I'm I, very into it. I think we, we tend to skew things a different way or we're looking for different things because we read books uh-huh. all the time. Right. But I think DC is looking at a book that people don't necessarily like or that is really taking mm-hmm. its time and seeing that mm-hmm. it's going to start shipping once per month rather than mm-hmm. twice. Mm-hmm. And saying, oh, we really got to break this King story out to a different avenue but the 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 kind of character centric storytelling that king's doing i think really lends itself to that that twice monthly uh Mm -hmm. meanwhile justice league packs in and 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 also wonder woman they pack in this kind of uh bonkers level of action and world building that i think it's okay to kind of break it up a little more sure um so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if it makes people you know, makes the writers uh, approach their storytelling from a different standpoint or, you know, a different kind of pacing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think there's writers that do it very, very well. I think Steve Orlando and Riley Rossmo's Martian Manhunter is one of the best books I'm reading consistently. And that is a year-long story, right? It comes out once per month. Yes. And it also rewards rereads. Right. So it's one of those that it's... Th- that book is so dense. It's very good. That yeah. that and the same thing with uh, Green Lantern. The Green Lantern. They're both very dense. So I feel like, uh, especially Martian Manhunter, I kind of need that breather between issues mm-hmm. to to absorb mm-hmm. it. And then, man, that that that's gonna be uh, a treat to read and trade, though for sure. Um, I just I. From the outside looking in, I can see why people might mm-hmm. not feel that way about Batman and knowing that they're going to start shipping single books a month. I can see why this Batwoman, Catwoman, damn it, Batman, Catwoman story. It's the secret. you got to speak that into being, man. <laughs> um, is coming out instead, right? Yeah. Like why they're like, King is now like, oh, I'm jumping off at issue 85. Um, right. And it's because they're 
I think my conspiracy theory is that they're looking mm-hmm. down the barrel of a story that isn't necessarily super popular being even longer. At least they're letting him finish it. I just uh, yes, and and it's in continuity. Like that's that's all I'm. You know, this isn't X Men Forever. This is like right. <laughs> this is, I got. I'm gonna finish my story. It's just not gonna be the you know the marquee title anymore. Right. Which I also get. Like you you. If you're trying to appeal to, you know, more and more comics are trying to appeal to audiences that know them from their mass media adaptations. That's understandable. It's just the nature of, of the beast at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so, yeah, you the Batman that Tom King's writing wouldn't necessarily appeal to, uh, you know, a kid in a comic shop. You know, I if I read it as a kid, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. As an adult who's read a zillion Batman comics, I feel like I'm seeing this character approached in a new way. So I really do enjoy that. But I, I also understand the need to have your flagship title kind of conform to an expectation. And I think that so, that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, speaking of ending stories, though, mm-hmm. Marvel has announced that they're bringing back post credit scenes in the buildup to Absolute Carnage. It was a good transition. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, I'm very good. <laughs> um, yeah, so at the end of a number of issues, I it might yeah. be even be line-wide, um, they're going to start building up to this everyone is a target storyline for Absolute Carnage. Yeah. Um, some of them say everyone is a target stories will begin this June with Venom okay. number 15, Symbiote Spider-Man number 3, Deadpool mm-hmm. number 14, Amazing Spider-Man number 24, Fantastic Four number 11. They continue into July with Black Cat number 2, Immortal Hulk number 20, Captain mm-hmm. Marvel number 8, Invaders number 7, and Avengers number 22. So there wow. are gonna, there's a basically a mini story or mini series kind of yeah. being told in the post-credits for all Playing of those out in the issues. Yeah. Um, leading up to Absolute Carnage, which starts in August from Donny mm-hmm. Case and Ryan Stegman. So, first of all, I, I I love the idea. It's a cool conceit. the the uh, The idea of calling them post credit scenes kind of cracks me up. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily process in my brain. I think it's kind of silly, but it is a fun hook because it's something that Marvel is now known for. Sure. Um, yeah, the MCU stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I'm hoping, you know, uh, we were we were chatting a little bit before we started about, uh, you know, the the nostalgia factor of a, a line wide carnage crossover. Um, the, I'm hoping that they pay off in ways that the because the last time they did this was the the Wolverine teasers, yeah, yeah, for, like um, mm-hmm. for before uh, Return of Wolverine or yes. yeah, um. And I hope that these pay off in a way that those ultimately didn't. Sure. Uh, so, <laughs> sure. Yeah. you know, I, and, it, and it also is, it's one of those things where I, I do hope it is, um, you know, they are a little more character specific. Like, I don't necessarily want to pick up a Captain Marvel book and then see, you know, characters from another book talking about something that is not going to pay off in this title. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, that makes perfect uh, sense. Yeah. So I do want to see how it is affecting the wider universe, you know, uh, ending a book with, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, uh, the CW last year, they did their, uh, uh, their cross, their big crossover event, um, and each of the episodes before the crossover event ended with the same tag, and, mm. and the tag only really 
tied into the Flash, but they put it at the end of Supergirl Everything. and Arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where I, I do want to know, I, you know, if I'm reading, uh, you know, if I'm reading, say, like, uh, Invaders, you know, I, I want or Black Cat, I want to know how this matters to those characters. Right. You know, even in the, just in the little tease. Mm-hmm. I think that it works really well for someone that is fully invested in the Spider-Man line. Sure. Um, or yeah. fully invested in the Venom line, which is yeah. expanding rapidly. Like mm-hmm. a lot of those books are straight out of Spidey and Venom's runs anyway. That's true. Um, mm-hmm. There's a weird one in there, Deadpool. Like yeah. the problem well, is that they're you not- gotta have Deadpool for that synergy, baby. <laughs> right. Marketing. Um the I think the problem is that they're not number ones. You got like sure. issue number fourteen in there. And sure. so if someone isn't reading Deadpool, yeah. do they pick up Deadpool number fourteen to get that quote unquote post credit scene? And and that's the that's the thing that kind of bugs me when tie ins are pushed into regular series. Right. Uh, you know, I I'm a big Spider Man twenty ninety nine fan and the the biggest bummer about the relaunch a few years ago was that every third issue was a tie like I'm trying to read about Miguel O'Hara trying to get back to the future, and instead I have to go down a you know rabbit hole for Civil War Two, you right. know, or or you know right. whatever else is happening at the time that I'm not necessarily following. So I, yeah, it is right. it is interesting if they will be more character specific or if yeah, say I'm I'm really I'm reading Black Cat, I'm really excited for Absolute Carnage, but now I can't follow it because I didn't pick up you know Immortal Hulk number twenty, right? Know? Number twenty, number fourteen, yeah. those. Those yeah. are weird Number choices, two. and yeah, obviously it's... they fit into the runs for those books. Sure, but I don't think that they fit into the lead up for Absolute Carnage all that well. Aside yeah, absolutely. From the perfect cross section of someone that reads all those books, like me. Sure, right. Um, I think it fits into the theme. Everyone is mm-hmm. a target really well because Carnage is hunting down everyone that has ever worn a symbiote. Yeah, that which I, I love that sense. that conceit That's is very super interesting. Cool. Yeah, but. Yeah, it's challenging, right? Um, well, maybe in the Deadpool issue, he like kills Topher Grace. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's how you get like really meta with it. Like he hunts down Topher Grace and right. Tom Hardy. Yeah, and I would be totally open to it. I'm gonna be there anyway. <laughs> I'm gonna be. Yeah, the, no, I'm I'm excited anyway. either way. But but it is I think it's weird. it is yeah. I have questions about how it'll be executed for sure. Um, speaking of Immortal Hulk, though, yes, all the way back to number one. Yeah. Um, soon to come up on number 20, going back to number one, which is going back for a fifth printing. Yeah. Um, at a reduced price mind. as well. So it yeah. originally debuted at $4.99. A fifth right. printing is due out, or is actually going to be, was printed on May 29th, mm-hmm. is due out June 6th, so this coming week, mm-hmm. and it will be listed at $3.99. Now, it was, a, it was an oversized issue, yeah, that first one? I think so. Yeah. yeah, it's been a bit since I read all the way back. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, why do you think that is? I mean, it's a great series, but like, you know, we're it, number eighteen just came out, so we're looking at a full, you know, over a year. Three trades. Yeah, yeah. I have it, all three really trades on my desk right now. Yeah. Is it just something that happens when like a movie comes out? People get excited for a character, so they want to start with that character. I, maybe I think maybe something like that. that there tends to be a reason behind everything that mm-hmm. Marvel's doing. Um, there's a 
Spider-Man versus Mysterio trade that just came out that just collects right. a bunch of disparate Spider-Man versus Mysterio stories, and right. that makes sense because Far From Home is coming out, right? Well, um, I, I remember reading. Uh, it was this interview with Chip Zdarsky on. Uh, there's a this podcast. Uh, Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man, <laughs> where they they go through uh, the original Stan Lee and and uh, yes, and, the original yeah, 41 the, the, stories. Yep, I'm right. familiar. So uh, they had this interview with Chip Zdarsky where they were talking to him about uh, Howard the Duck. And and he goes, yeah, I'm doing a Howard the Duck series because I guess he uh, had a cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy. So that means we have to and you know, it's time to invest, you know, like right. it is it yeah. is interesting the, the 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 times that they choose to or how they choose to, you know, incorporate that. Um, um, I am hard pressed to find one for Hulk, though. Aside from Endgame, but the Endgame. book is yeah. so different. Yeah. Um, yes. I, a more, <laughs> yes. <laughs> a more reasonable reach, I guess, might be that it is multiple Eisner Award nominated. Oh um, yeah, that's so fair. They're, they're very subtly pushing Eisner sure, sure. books. They're not printing them like Eisner nominated on the cover or anything like that. But a reduced right. entry point um, helps. Just as much, I guess. Sure. Yeah. But it, it's it's also yeah no that makes sense the, the Eisner nomination like it, it it would be like reprinting a bunch of old gold key Hanna Barbera comics because Snagglepuss Chronicles got nominated though right. it's, it's 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 a reach um, it is it's the reach that I'm making Nathan uh, it's no it's fair I think that's a fair <laughs> that's a fair assessment yeah um, but yeah that that did throw me because uh, I mean it is a fa- it is a fantastic series but it is so not the you know crowd pleasing no. adventures of the of the films yeah no so. it is not endgame not at all. by any means it's no. arguably much better i think oh, it's much yeah. better than endgame hulk but what do i know i'm just a comic reviewer that reads 40 books a week <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of immortal hulk again um, uh-huh. the top books for last week yes. our next section Comic Book Roundup has the top critic book at Immortal Hulk number 18 with a 9.3. We picked yeah. any books that have more than three critic reviews. Uh-huh. Um, I think that this one had upwards of 10 when I pulled it. And then oh, wow. the um, top fan book was Doomsday Clock number 10 with a mm-hmm. 9.8. I think that that one, when I pulled it, had upwards of 50 fan reviews. I'm not I'm not surprised. Well, no? and also which a lot of that for both? for both, honestly. But with Doomsday Clock, of course, there were like a zillion reviews because it, it's one of those books that like it's already anticipated. And then you add in the fact that no one knows if it's actually going to come out when it's supposed to come out. Right. So everyone jumps on it. Um, right. Yeah. The uh, Immortal Hulk is it's a trip, man. It This latest issue was just like something out of uh I mean, the whole series is like a Cronenberg nightmare. Like, yes, uh, but yes. the the stuff they're doing with the uh, you know the new abomination is just it's terrifying. I mean, it's genuinely. I never thought I'd say that about a, a Hulk, but uh, you know, Hulk series. But it is. It's upsetting. It's disgusting in a really cool way, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it, it's the kind of reaction I've, I've had to the the new Swamp Thing pilot, where it is, it's uh, it's not at all what you expect, and that's part of the reason why it's so thrilling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, I haven't. You know, you you look at the Hulk. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why the movies are a little harder to crack. Is that, you know, beyond 
you know chucking tanks around that's <laughs> you know the 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 wider public has kind of this narrow perception of the hulk and rather than even playing on the expectations of that like i mean you know there there we've had our smart hulk stories which kind of you know play on the expectation of this rampaging monster but this is like this is its, it's own new animal. It's more like Shelley, Mary Shelley, like Frankenstein in a way. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, it's like a monster struggling with humanity and also mm-hmm. the, the flip side of that. Um, and I think that's very interesting. I like it quite a bit. And I also think sure. that it speaks to potentially how much more Al Ewing gets Hulk than a lot of writers before oh, him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I was listening to it this week in Marvel podcast interview where he said – I wanted to take it all the way back to the beginning where Hulk was a monster who came out at night. Yes. He happens yeah. to be tied to a man, but he is a monster. Right? But there's that that original, you know, drawing of the Hulk. The first cover is him, you know, under the ground and right. like they just, you know, it's it right. is he is this thing that's he's a Morlock. I mean, he's this thing that lurks in the shadows and the, you know, the dank darkness and mm-hmm. he's really tapping into that. I mean, it's you know the the Hulk has always been sort of gentle body horror. If, you know, like the idea of like, oh, I can't control this thing about myself. And yeah, now it's it never is, really pushed the envelope in this. It way, is explicit right? here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he punches the dude's skeleton out of his body. That in one issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, explicit the, is yeah. The stuff they're doing with Rick Jones is you know like I you can't even rest. Like the whole idea of immortal Hulk is that it, it's it's more so. It's not even about the the fact that the character itself is immortal. It's that it'll never be over for Bruce. Like none mm-hmm. of this will ever end for them, right. and it's it, that is horrific. Yeah, and the, uh, you know, I think it speaks a little bit to like they literally had him go to hell. Um, yeah, only really to find that hell was himself. Yes, um, and that's oh, God. that's such a good good storyline yeah. for Hulk, and so unexpected. It is. It is the book that I keep recommending to people, and they kind of give me a look like, "Wait, you mean there's a scary, there's a scary Hulk book?" You big know? Green <laughs> Man? No, yeah. not the Big but Green it is, Man. It's yeah. my favorite Hulk-related series since uh, since Charles Soule's uh, sadly short-lived She-Hulk from a few, sure. and they couldn't be more different. Yeah. You know, She-Hulk's it's totally different, but so yes. fun. And then also this one so is just considered though in this way, and so character sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that does it for our Immortal Hulk cast. Yes. <laughs> um, thanks <laughs> yeah. for joining us on that little trip, yeah. y'all. I think that was almost 10 minutes. Yes. <laughs> um, and Doomsday Clock. Um, I'm excited about this. I thought that uh-huh. Doomsday Clock number 10, it finally made it click for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I see what they're doing. It Jeff feels Jones like is it... blaming oh. Dr. Manhattan uh-huh. for everything people <laughs> don't like in DC Comics. Yeah, That's cool. That, yeah, it was a... Like that that uh I had the same feeling back when the rebirth uh the rebirth special came out where it was just like you know there there's all these people blaming you know you know someone took our hope away and I was like Jeff Johns you you wrote that story like you you <laughs> <laughs> like right. it's such an incredible scapegoat but it also it just in terms of uh, Doomsday Clock uh this feels like this feels like this issue should have been earlier in the run if that makes sense like it, sure yeah um cuz it it does feel like it it clears so much up in a way that has felt kind of uh intentional almost unintentionally obfuscated to now yeah. yeah it's been a little inscrutable in a in a very 
in a f- mostly fun way, but the, mm-hmm. there there have been a few moments where I've just been like, just kind of tell me what's up. It also, I, I mean, I know the whole deal is, uh, I, I do love the the whole metafictional aspect of I it. I do though. as I mean, well, it, and I think that that's a big part of the, it's so interesting to see DC have a conversation with itself. Yeah, it's almost right? hyper time again. Right. I mean, it is, it is, it is Dr. Manhattan watching... <laughs> watching sales drop and then watching things like change again. But the idea is that Superman's always at the, at the front end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the sort of uh, recreations of uh, the different Superman runs. I mean, at one point you literally see a ship that looks like it came out of birthright <laughs> um, there. And I love it. I, there's some really, really great. This is the kind of, I mean, for all my, you know, cynicism about the, motivations of blaming things fans didn't like on Dr. Manhattan. Um, It is the kind of storytelling that literally could only happen in comics. Yes. And I feel like for the first time, rather than winking at themselves, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're winking at fans who get that with this issue. Yes. And that's why I was like, it clicks now. I get it. I like it. Um, It sucks that it's taken that long to get there. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking specifically about how long it takes the issues to come out, right? Mm-hmm. I've joked before about having a doomsday clock clock segment on this show because they yeah. can't get it out on time. And I couldn't tell you why. Right. But um, it's fascinating it's also, when it does come out. It's also the first issue of the series. And this isn't a knock on the quality of the series. I think it's been mostly really good. But the mm-hmm. this is the first issue of the series that felt like it was playing in a sandbox that Alan Moore would have come up with. Absolutely. It felt this feels like Supreme or, you know, uh, yeah, it just, it's, uh, Mm -hmm. just some really interesting ideas. It felt so earned and reverent. Yeah. Um, and there was a, there was a scene in it where Batman said, you ate my breakfast and Rorschach said, yes, I did. (laughs) And that was also great. So that was also great. Just a good book. Yeah. Um, Nathan, what was your second pick? For this week in comics, uh, second pick would be uh, Star Wars number one hundred eight. Uh, it was uh, it's the it's basically the return of the uh, the legacy series, the expanded universe. Um, so for I guess as part of the 80th anniversary of Marvel, they decided we want to do uh, uh, a return to you know the Archie Goodwin era of Star Wars. Uh, it's written by Matthew Rosenberg. The art is from a ton of different creative teams kind of trading off uh, different chapters. But um, the thing that hits me right away is the Walt Simonson cover that immediately makes me feel like I'm like six years old finding it in a flea market, like in, in the best possible way. But um, it, it is a celebration of everything that's great and also goofy about the original Marvel Star Wars run. I mean, you've got Jackson, who's essentially Bucky O'Hare, like this big green rabbit running around with Han Solo. All of the characters feel exactly right. The um, It's just a good time. Like, it, it's, you know, as much as I love the, you know, the current Star Wars comics that just become a, you know, a line, an empire of itself for Marvel, <laughs> uh, it, it really felt like the perfect nostalgia trip. I I really really love that book. Mhm. I was this one was written by Matthew Rosenberg, right? Yes, yeah. I was a little bummed to see that he didn't get credited in the book. Um but he he tweeted out 
guys, my name uh-huh. isn't printed in the book, but I can assure you that I wrote it. Yeah. Um, which is a weird slip up for Marvel. But That was um, very also, strange. He followed it up by saying, I, do, I mean, no shade at all. Like, I loved writing this so much that I mm. don't even care. Right. Um, yeah. And it's like, I just love seeing creators that want to make something that badly. And you can right? tell there's like a reverence for the source material, too. Like, there, the this wouldn't have been written by someone who thought those characters were a joke you know the the, the, sure. the expanded universe characters right. like there is like for valance the hunter and like all of these you know uh just weirder concepts that were you know because at the time these books were coming out marvel was just you know they were just throwing stuff at the wall like we were this was an this wasn't a, a universe that had set rules or you know no one was sitting there you know there wasn't a disney executive sitting in the room saying like well, there's no fairies in the Star Wars universe. Right. There's no, you know, right. you can't have a rabbit man or, you know, Darth Vader would, you know, th- would, wouldn't be able to use a lightsaber with only one hand, you know. Uh, it's just, uh, man, it is so fun. It, and it is, it's a, it's just a deep dive in, it, 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 it's silly because the original books were silly, but it's also sincere uh, you know, in in its love for the material, so it, it ends up feeling yeah. there's there's an earnestness to it that really carries the story, and I I can't recommend it enough. It's it's so fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, my number two pick this yes. week was X twenty three number twelve, uh-huh. written by Mariko Tamaki with art by Diego Olortegui. I'm so sorry. Um, this was unexpected. I think mm-hmm. that they probably didn't know that x23 was going to be canceled when they were yeah. brought on i i'm when not was sure that announced actually because it it felt like it, it, i didn't it realize it was over solicited after the 12th issue um okay. and that's obviously okay. we know now because hawks and pox are coming out right um, because jonathan hickman talked the x editorial team into completely rebooting the x-men series which i'm not opposed to sure um but it, i was a little worried that like this and Mr. and Mrs. X and stuff, they weren't going to get good endings. Right, yeah. Um, this has a fantastic ending. I thought it was really, really well mm-hmm. done. A lot of people are mad online about this issue. Yeah. Um, Honey Badger, this book <laughs> is really about the relationship between Laura Kinney, X-23, and, and Gabby. Gabby, her yeah. clone sister, um, Honey Badger. At the end of this issue... Gabby says, I'm going to change my name from Honey Badger to Scout. Uh-huh. Um, and, and people are mad online about it. Like, why would you ever change her meme name? That's the perfect name for her and stuff. <laughs> and I think that that's true, mm-hmm. right? I think that Honey Badger is the perfect name for her. I think that we'll probably come back to it. I also wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if some writers completely ignore what Tamaki has written here. <laughs> but I wish, I hope that they don't. Because well, you know, what, she has done yeah is written a really great considered almost poetically symmetrical look at how Laura is defined by her mission and how Gabby is choosing to be defined by her mission which yes. is almost entirely different yeah the uh the, the well the thing that bugged me the most about the name change personally is it it, it comes from the lettering that's on the cell the 
you know the explosive the clone switches yeah yeah so it's it, it just kind of it felt like uh felt like it was reverse engineered in a kind of awkward way sure um i'm not necessarily opposed to the name change as a concept just the fact that it it didn't feel that's the only part that didn't feel earned about the story to me. I mean, I get the idea. Okay. I, I get the idea that she, she wants to, you know, continue on and do her own thing, but it does, it does feel the way it, I don't know. There's something about the way it plays out. And a lot of it has to do with, again, they may not have had a, a huge heads up about the ending. So it does feel like it happens very quickly. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I think I thought that they did a very good, job i reviewed it's, this for aptcomics.com yeah. i gave it a 10 out of 10 mm-hmm. um and i thought so largely because what tamaki ended up writing whether or not she had enough time to tell the story she wanted to tell mm-hmm. was a look at laura who is defined by wanting to destroy everything about her identity yes yeah. and gabby who wants to live in her identity and expand yeah. her identity and make a family out of her identity well it's it, it's uh it's a lot of the themes that were in play in the film Logan just sure with, but it's told Laura is such a great character. I, what's the, there's a line toward the end of the issue where she says, um, Oh man, it's uh, I know what it means to have my heart stop and start again. Sure. Yeah. It's just, uh, that to me is, 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 is Laura in a nutshell. Like she's, she's so Mm -hmm. fatalistic but she also she's never going to stop. Right. Um and um, that's that's such an important thing about her character. And and her willingness to let go and let Gabby be her own person because yes. that's what ended up catalyzing who Laura is. Yeah. I think is what really sealed this for me and it felt so familial and it felt so sad but also kind yes. of saccharine and sweet and emotionally resonant and rich. It was a new beginning. Um, yeah, and I think that that's the perfect way to end a series that had some challenges like this. Yeah. Um, the art is also really great. It reminds me a lot of the stuff Juan Cabal was doing on the series. Mm-hmm. Juan is one of my favorite artists right now. I love seeing the choreography of a character getting to a place on the sc- on the page, right? So you have yes, you can yeah. actually track the motions that Laura and Gabby are making in fight scenes and stuff like that. Juan does a great job with that with Spider-Man. And Diego's doing a great job here with that with Laura and Gabby, where they're very agile and Mm -hmm. similar. Uh, Ibrahim Mustafa does that with these James Bond books that are just so so fascinating. they, They are very agile, but also very aggressive. Yes. And you can see them kind of curling back and like pouncing into people. Yeah, you see um, how they make their way through the space rather than the yes. space being a setting for the fight. Right. It's, yeah, I love that. Um, and I think that this book has been really defined by that visual style, and mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. This issue is a great example of it. Awesome. What was your number one pick? I have <laughs> an interesting one. Uh, it was the uh, War of the Realms tie-in, Giant Man number two, uh, uh, written by Leah Williams and art by Marco Castiello. Um, it's just so fun. I, I think I get to a point where with, you know, I was, like I was saying with, uh, you know, Spider-Man 2099 and just tie-ins in general, I get to a point where I, I get a little cynical about them because you feel like, oh, nothing's going to change nothing. You know, these are just kind of, but giant man leans into that in a way. And it's mm. just a really fun side story. Um, 
you know, it follows uh, a team of uh, Atlas, Giant Man, Ant Man, and uh, Goliath, uh, and they're basically they've been hired to uh, uh, to kill Laufey. Uh and so it's this sort of covert uh, assassination mission, and their you know their their decision is we're going to grow giant size, paint ourselves blue and blend in with the ice giants. <laughs> um, and it's just really fun, but it, it also, it gets to, you know, Scott has a lot of, Scott Lang has a lot of dialogue about worrying about his daughter. And there, there is a very real tangible feeling of uh, the anxiety of being at war or in a, a uh, in a disaster area. It's very, it's something I very much relate to uh, following. I live in Panama city, Florida, and we had a, that awful hurricane back in October. And there is this thing where if you can't reach someone you love, but there's nothing you can do about it, all you have to do, all you can do is just keep going until you find a way to, to you know, reach that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's it, the, the book kind of takes a moment for Scott Lang to basically acknowledge you know, we're having a lot of fun here, guys. You know, I'm razzing, razzing with the boys, but like, I don't know if my daughter's alive. You know, sure. Um, but right. also, it's it's just a you know, there's a there's a bar fight <laughs> with with frost giants. Uh, they sing Jolene together. It's just a good time, mm-hmm. um, and just just in sheer level of enjoyment. There's nothing else I read this week that made me half as happy. Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel that way about my number one pick, yeah. which is Coda Number 12, written by Cy Spurrier, with art by the Eisner Award-nominated Matthias Bergara. That's um, awesome. I have been a huge proponent, fan, whatever, of this book. Mm-hmm. I made a Photoshop of Moses with the two tablets, and I put Coda <laughs> covers on it and tweeted it out, and all the Boom editors retweeted it. That's um, great. I think it's really, really fantastic. Uh-huh. I've talked it to... Death. I'm not going to talk this issue to death. I, I well, can't. I would also be spoiling it, and this I, is one, I don't want to. I really want to pick this one up, but it's uh, so like I, it's been difficult for me to like pick up newer books because my my uh, local shop has more or less been closed since the storm. Um, so the uh, and also its release strategy was kind of funky, right? Like it had it yeah, the trade releases up... have been weird. The book okay. has been consistent. The individual issues have been. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's one that I definitely want to pick up in trade because I, I hear nothing but great things about it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Um, I, I just want to say that this issue, it does a really great job of ending a story in mm-hmm. a big, bombastic way, but then also in a quieter, more epilogue way after the fact as well. Love that, yeah. Like, I, I haven't gotten this kind of satisfaction out of a story ending in a long time where yeah. this story is really about two characters, Hum, the main character, uh, a bard, and mm-hmm. Circa. I've talked about this all before, but it's about <laughs> them reconciling their relationship in the end of the world, right? And yeah. so this issue illustrates and brings that end of the world to life really, really fantastically. They bring a dragon back to life. Mm-hmm. Matthias does this really awesome paneling where it's like these really sharp diagonal panels, so it looks like the dragon's teeth when oh, it bites that's down awesome. on someone. Yeah. I was like, this is 
fucking awesome. It's bombastic. It's colorful. Yeah. It's crazy. The villain says something like, um, I got a quote here when they're in this big airship. She says, I can make more or I can find. I can live forever. I have no need for legacy. One starts to think differently when one looks down upon all of creation. Right? And that's the kind of like huge monumental villain yeah. stuff that you want. Yeah. Right? That's like and a Robert E. Howard, like big, you know, villain right. proclamation. Yeah. Like I love that. Yeah. Um, and then it and then it gets a kind of a storybook ending. Um, there's like this sepia toned pastiche ending that's like everyone lived happily ever after, blah 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 blah. Um, mm-hmm. and then it cuts away and circa's like Why'd you write that ending? We don't even know if that's what's going to happen. Oh, love that. And Hum is like, well, it's the ending that they want, so it's the ending I'm going to give them. Ugh. And and we get the two characters riding away together, which is a much more quiet ending for those two. Sure. And it's so difficult to deliver on this big, bombastic, comical fantasy yeah. ending like that. And then also deliver a very sweet, emotional, character-driven ending. Yes. Um, to depict the end of the world and then make it feel so personal. That's really, really hard. That's fantastic. Um, and I did just kind of spoil it, so I apologize. But no, that's it's, okay. It's really great. I love endings like that, though, where they, you know, it's kind of similar to the way Charles Soule had to wrap up his Swamp Thing run. It has yes. this gigantic battle. I'm also but it's a big also, fan of that book. Yeah. It's also a book. It's also a story about the power of stories, you know. Right. I golly. Um, now I want leads, to reread that. <laughs> leads us perfectly into. I'm going to also. I yeah. um, met him at Emerald City Comic Con a couple years ago, and I oh, I've heard he's a doll. I walked up to him and I said, "Hey, I really loved your Swamp Thing run." And yeah. he was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, did yeah." People not really tell you that, and he was yeah, like, yeah. "No." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, well, I loved it a lot. Thank you so much." And he was like. Yeah, thank you. That's <laughs> you know, like so he was cool. Flabbergasted. Yeah. Um, but that leads perfectly into our next segment, which is mm-hmm. on endings. Um, yes. I just want to open the floor to discuss quickly, briefly. Yeah. Um, our favorite comic book endings, a whole series, individual issues, runs, thematic sure. endings. Um, I will say that the two books I picked this week are both endings, so that's where my head's at. Sure. Um, I also really the only input I have on this segment is that. I think we both read Batman last night this week, which is Scott Snyder and Greg Pulo's last word on Batman. And that really got me thinking about endings for Batman Mm -hmm. and endings for a character that is kind of perennial Mm -hmm. or kind of evergreen, right? Comics are a revolving door. And how do you put your stamp on a character? Absolutely. And I think in an interview with Polygon or a quote from Morrison or something like that, there was, a, there was a piece that said, when you show a character's birth and you show a character's death, you own a version of that character. Yes. And I think that that's what's so fascinating to me about The Last Night mm-hmm. is because, like, this is what that is ostensibly going to be. Um, there's that word again. But... <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be this kind of end to not only Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's mm-hmm. Batman stories, but also kind of the death of that version of the character. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it's, it takes a while. I think it will take a while yet for us to fully digest and process that. It will definitely mm-hmm. take until the end of last night. Yeah, I'm really interested to but, see because it, it also 
seemingly picks up in modern day. So I'm right. You know, you you do worry about a cop out ending, but I'm I'm very curious to see how it ties up because I I think it'll end in a way we don't necessarily expect, but it'll also be his. Uh, it'll it's somehow going to have to end with everything being okay unless this is fully outside of continuity um, sure so i'm i'm very yeah. uh very curious to see how that's gonna and work. i think being on black label it, it, there's an argument to be made that everything's outside of continuity right uh, yeah i certainly um, hope batman damned is <laughs> <laughs> um i may feel that way about superman coming soon but yeah um, yeah we'll see that's that's where my head is at i guess is that yeah i don't have a specific ending or series or anything that i'm sure really interested in but in terms of endings, mm-hmm. I'm really fascinated by someone trying to own or put their stamp on a version of a character that has right. ex- existed since potentially before they were born yeah. and will exist long after we're all dead. Sure. Um, and to watch that happening in media res, essentially, is, mm-hmm. is really fascinating. Well, it's uh, it's something I've I've been thinking about a lot lately as well because uh, with Endgame coming out and Last Night on Earth, I actually did a article where I, uh, for AIPT where I kind of went back through uh, quote unquote final superhero stories so I discussed like Punisher the end and Spider-Man Reign and stuff like that things right. that were meant to be kind of like a summation of a character but not necessarily you know the, the real ending um, and since I, my brain is all in Swamp Thing lately because of the show and, and everything else the um, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Alan Moore's ending of his run on Swamp Thing uh, because the, the the book ran for uh, years after he left the series but you know he wrote, wrote from essentially I think issue 20 to issue 64 and he his ending for his run on Swamp Thing felt like um, guys no one else has to say anything about Swamp Thing anymore like it's it's oddly sweet it's a happily ever after kind of ending which is so not Alan Moore's MO right yeah Um, but it is literally like Swamp Thing has been lost in space for like 10 issues he comes back home he he meets up with all of his friends he builds a tree house for his wife like and they're settling down it's a happily ever after he Alan Moore even writes in a character that's like on the river that looks like Alan Moore uh, who like waves at Swamp Thing and it's like he's saying goodbye to the character and it's this really beautiful perfect ending that you know next week the next month it picked up again with more crazy environmental adventures you know and 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 eventually the character that looked like Alan Moore was introduced as a supporting character in the comic series and he was given this whole backstory where he was like fighting against a serial killer and you know it's it's it it is it is somehow a perfect ending that then gets the the legs cut out from under it you know Mm -hmm. because the story has to like you said the story has to continue right Um, and i think the thing is like what i was getting at is yeah it does and it mm -hmm. will but to watch the birth and death of a very specific version of that character feels okay which is which is why out of continuity endings like man, you know uh whatever happened to the man of tomorrow or dark knight returns like that's why they they work better because they can usually have that finality without fear of changes sure. down the road right um right. 
And 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 Snyder has written such a specific version of Batman, you know, to the point where, you know, even if this book is outside of if Last Night on Earth is outside of continuity, it's still building on ideas from Endgame and all this stuff where he had, you know, a machine that would clone himself, and you know, it 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 really is. And that that's the that's the thing that was always kind of funky about reading Snyder's run and and to a lesser extent Tom King's run, where they have these specific versions of the characters that don't necessarily line up with other stuff in the line. You know, the Joker was still running around in the Suicide Squad books while he was dead, ostensibly. There's that word in uh, <laughs> in Scott Snyder's Batman. Right. So it is it is really like he he is picking up where he left off and and ending his version of the character. Um, it, it's it's an interesting thing to think about because it how do you how do you end a character that has to go on? Um, right. You know, either thematically or, you know, with Neil Gaiman's case, he wrote whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, which was sort of a funeral for the first, you know, 60 years of Batman or however long, uh, you know, it, it is, it is interesting to, to think about, you know, how, how does a writer approach something like that? Yeah. In summation, yes, I am right to enjoy X twenty three number twelve and everyone Correct. else is wrong. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a good issue. <laughs> um, no, I think it is mostly to say that comics are a revolving door. Yes, um, and that all of these characters are essentially soap operatic mm-hmm. in a way. Um, every character is going to have some sort of beginning and middle and end, and every mm-hmm. arc has that as well. It's the nature of the medium. Um, well, and I, it feels strange, right? Like sometimes max sure. series and miniseries are finite and end. Flex Mantello. Mm-hmm. Um, but not that's not the norm. Well, it's it's like, uh, you know, outside of comics, if you look at, at uh, you know, films that recast actors, the James Bond series or, you know, even the, the Batman series when people were angry about Ben Affleck being cast, you know, five years ago, I said, give it time you think that he's going to be Batman forever? Like, right. you, you right. know, you, there, there will be another version of this character, whether you praise it or hate it. And they seem to hate it. They but, seem to. Well, I'm excited <laughs> about it and I will continue to be excited. And I yes. will also continue to revel in the endings that were given. I think yes. because they mean so much to the creator. Sure. And that in and of itself is an interesting conversation or statement to try and make. I think. Absolutely. Um, which brings us to our segment, our next segment, which is top books mm-hmm. for next week. Books yeah. that will be continuing. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you most excited to see coming out next week? So I'm really excited for the uh, $6 million man, number four, written by Chris Hastings, art by David Hahn. It's Fantastic just covers for this they're series. They're gorgeous. Is Hahn doing the covers? I Some of them, anyway. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, it's just so fun. The, the The thing about the series is it's it does exactly what you hope a licensed book will do, mm. which is take the central conceit and especially one that is like adapting something that's no longer on the air. You take the central conceit and you make something that feels fresh about you know with it while still paying tribute to what people enjoyed about the original material. The the thing about I've been thinking about a lot of shows that I watched when I was a kid, like Six Million Dollar Man or MacGyver, and it's these sh- or Knight Rider. It's these shows that were like 
ostensibly <laughs> damn it <laughs> put oh it in God. the jar uh, i got an ostensibly jar uh the um th- there are these action shows that had their action in the last act of the episode so you know you get hyped for this episode about of night rider and it's david hasselhoff wandering around a warehouse until the last five minutes where he gets to jump a ramp you know uh but in six million dollar man you know this 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 comic book series is like yeah he would constantly be using his abilities so Mm -hmm. you've got you've got this guy who He's not a trained assassin or like there's a lot of jokes made about the fact that like he was an astronaut that is now being sent on like covert missions. Like he doesn't know how to be quiet. <laughs> sure, he doesn't right. like. And so it, it it's just very it's very lighthearted, really fun. And the thing that is so great about it is how much he loves the fact that he's a robot man. Like he, mm-hmm. he is constantly, there's, he always has this smile. Steve always has this smile on his face where he is like, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm the six million, like I'm the $6 million man. He's like, I have a robot. I have a laser eye, you know, <laughs> like he's like, oh, don't worry about it. We can jump off of this cliff and I'll land fine. Like it's, sure. but he's so hype about it and it's just very infectious. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I th- it's the kind of thing that winks at readers that have had those conversations yes, before, yeah. right? And I feel like we're kind of fi- kind of finally getting to a point where writers that aged with us mm-hmm. that had those same conversations on their mm-hmm. couch are like, well, why can't I write that story? Why can't the Justice right. League meet the Power Rangers? <laughs> right. Like, what is? why can't Batman hang out with the Ninja Turtles? Yeah, exactly. That would be, that's my dream. That's what yeah. I did with my action figures, right? And so, <laughs> yes. like, seeing people be like, well, of course he fucking loves being a robot. That's yeah. cool. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, It's only, I think it's a five-issue mini, but I'm hoping, oh, man, I would love to read an ongoing. It's just so much fun. It makes me happy. Like, genuinely... When I looked ahead for next week and saw that it was releasing next week, I get this big goofy grin on my face. Like I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, I think that's exactly what you want, and that's why yeah. I look forward to all this stuff every week. Oh yeah. Um, I am personally looking forward to Black Cat number one, mm-hmm. written by Jed Mackey with art by Travel Foreman. Um, the yes. aforementioned Black Cat, which will also apparently have a tie into Absolute Carnage in its second issue. In its second issue. <laughs> That's right. Um, There's that marketing train. Um, I'm pretty excited for this. I think Mm -hmm. that Black Cat, she, Felicia, is a little bit more interesting to me. This is going to be a hot take. I'm trying to be very careful. Ooh, I'm excited. I think she's more interesting than Mary Jane. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Certainly currently, yeah. Yeah, currently, right? I think that... A book that is solely about her, and if done well, will hopefully explain why to other people. Mm-hmm. Is this but, her first ongoing? Is this the first time Black Cat's like led a series? I don't think that it is. Okay, but it's the first time in a long time. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is, as you mentioned, an ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, she may have only had mini series in the past. Right. Like it took forever for Black Canary to get an ongoing. Right. And, yeah. Right. Um. So I think that. The problem with, I don't want to say the problem with Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. The problem with the way that a lot of writers write Mary Jane is that she is defined by her relationship with Peter. Sure, yeah. Felicia is a character first. 
she is more often defined by her moral dubiousness. Yes. Uh-huh. And how that ties into her relationships with Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more interesting to me. I think that more writers tend to get that right mm-hmm. than they tend to get writing Mary Jane right. Well, see, that's um, why that I... Doesn't, yeah. mean that I think Mary Jane is a horrible character. Oh, no, of or course. Or that I think that the ups and downs of their relationship or their marriage or anything like that is mm-hmm. bad. I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I, sure. I wouldn't be here if I didn't like that stuff. I do. I'm a big married Spider-Man fan also. <laughs> sure. Um, very few characters get stories that are told that well. Sure. But this is almost like a, a what-if character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's so fascinating. And I think that what's so fascinating about it is that for forever, Black Cat has not been solely defined by Peter's existence. Yes. She feels like a character that exists out there in the world on her own and that does her own things. And oftentimes it feels like she's dropping in on Peter in the middle of her own story. Yes. And I've always wanted to see those stories well, going back to talking about Carnage, like that was one of the things I got into Black Cat when I was a kid because of the Maximum Carnage books. Because sure. it, while Spider Man is like proselytizing to everyone, like oh we can't hurt anyone, like we gotta right. we gotta be good. Black Cat is off on her own side mission where she's like teaming up with Venom and like we're gonna murder this guy. Like I don't right, care. yeah, like, yeah. No, yeah. I love her. Um, And if they treat this as kind of the flip side of Amazing Spider-Man, I think that that will work really, really well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it it could be the it could be the Joelle Jones Catwoman of the Spider-Man line. Right. Um, So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I think Travel is also a fantastic artist. Absolutely. Kind of sleek, neo noir stuff really well. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, looking towards covers for the mm-hmm. next week. By the way, Black Cat has a ton. I couldn't pick one. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite cover for next week in our segment that we call Judging by the Cover Junior? Junior. Um, yes, I actually am. <laughs> I love the cover for the Green Lantern number eight for multiple mm-hmm. reasons. Yeah, it's really um, good. It's fantastic. And what's so great is uh, until we started recording, the the version of the cover was like the 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 one without any of the yeah the, it, they're usually called the virgin variant yes yeah there was which no text is a weird on. phrasing but it's very yeah. strange but so um I'm a sucker for homage covers um, anytime someone does a you know a spin on Spider Man No More or uh, you know a, a you know Detective Twenty Seven or something like that I get very excited um, and so this one is. <laughs> this one is a throwback to the Neil Adams era of uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow team. Um, they're in similar poses uh, with, you know, the bow drawn back and and Green Lantern, like, getting ready to do something. Uh, but the, uh, the the thing that kills me about it, the, the text on the cover is the Green Lantern, Green Arrow team reunited against a terrifying new menace on our streets, Space Junkies. And it literally shows, like, this tentacle, these tentacles coming onto the page with a syringe, like, wrapped in it. And it is, a, it's an homage to the, uh, the, the cover with Oliver Queen finding out that Speedy is, uh, is on drugs. You oh, know? it is! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> it's, it's, it's not only Whoa. that first issue with, you know, that first cover of, Green of uh, Green Arrow uh, destroying the lantern, but it's also my my ward Speedy is a junkie. 
um, which is one of my all-time favorite covers for the worst possible reasons because the the thing about the uh, I actually have a print of it signed by Neil Adams because it's my favorite thing in the world but the the thing that always kills me about that cover is that instead of <laughs> instead of uh Hal being like supportive and trying to get uh Roy help for his addiction on that cover he's literally saying like well, you always have something to say green arrow what do you think about this and it's literally like, wow, you're like rubbing this in his face. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. the, you know, it is the perfect thing to show somebody to prove that, uh, you know, how Jordan was has not always been the best of us. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, and also, you know, in a in an age in an era without a Green Arrow ongoing, I'm very happy to see the two of them together. Yeah, I think that this is a absolutely crazy cover to have on comic racks yeah oh <laughs> a, a, a thousand percent um but i i really also think that that's the kind of thing that grant morrison and liam sharp would do uh-huh. so when i saw it i was like oh yeah. well in this i mean to that's me, a natural conclusion right yeah and this also like this also to me speaks more to his original you know pitch for the series where he was like this is you know, I want to do law and order in space. Like I want to do space right. cops, you know, and you know, it, it's been a lot of uh, weird cosmic stuff, which I love, but the idea of, you know, how Jordan cracking down on alien junkies makes <laughs> it not only makes me excited, it makes me laugh every time I look at this cover. And I don't know if that's the idea, but it, it certainly has me very I, excited. I think that it is. It's asking you to it buy into to a be. world where Hal is, that's what he's spending his time doing. <laughs> yeah. Which is just such a ridiculous concept, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's it's like a hyper-aggressive dare campaign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mars heroin. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Which is, I, this I also looks like it, something that would happen in Steve Orlando's uh, Martian Manhunter. It does, yes. <laughs> I, I really hope that it opens with a very impassioned speech to the Justice League about wanting oh. to crack down on interstellar trade or something like that. Oh my God. I mean, John, John Jones is like the scruff McGruff of the Justice League. We can all agree on that. Yeah, I think John would buy in. I don't think anybody else would. <laughs> When, but they're uh, junkies in space, guys. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I, um, I hear, I hear. Uh, this is also makes me really happy when I read the Grant Morrison book because I, I hear Nathan Fillion's voice in my head like more so than any yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. There's just like a sassiness to his version of Hal sure. yeah. that uh, I'm very excited to see how he yeah, deals with fun. space junkies. Yeah. What are you um, excited for? My pick is Tony Stark. Iron Man number 12. Yes. Art by Alexander Lozano. I don't even think that this is the first time that Alexander Lozano's covers have been on the show, uh-huh. let alone Tony Stark Iron Man number, or Tony Stark Iron Man. I almost said Tony Stark Iron Man number 12 as if we've been talking about this uh, right. particular issue for a long <laughs> this time. This one issue, yeah. But, um, man, the covers for this are so good. It's gorgeous. They're really fantastic. Yeah. Um, there was an issue that I called out earlier that had Tony um, in a tumbler and he was getting crushed by ice. Mm-hmm. Great callback to his alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Um, David last week picked a cover that was kind of like this H.R. Geiger biomechanical thing where yeah. like, mechanical tentacles were coming out of Tony's suit. Mm-hmm. This one, I couldn't tell you what this issue is about based on the cover. 
It's but, very timely um, with the King of the Monsters coming out. Right, yeah, and I was going to say that it actually has a, a better dragon on it than the effects in the final season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is a really, really cool monochromatic and like very realistically rendered cover mm-hmm. of Tony standing directly under a space dragon's mouth um, and yeah. he's holding it open and this thing is just firing full force like you said um, Godzilla like right down on him and there's this big plume of fire and smoke and debris and stuff coming out from underneath his feet you can see that like the dragon's frills or gills or whatever dragon they're not mm-hmm. real whatever dragon terminology you want to use um, <laughs> seem to be like on fire as yeah. well and like the lighting is so perfect mm-hmm. And um, this variation of reds and blacks and yellows and oranges. It's, it's very Kingdom Come or Marvels. Like, it yeah. just it has a very iconic look to it. It's very, very evocative. It's a very cool in-media res vignette kind of um, storytelling. Yeah. I don't know that it has anything to do with the interiors. Right. Um, it's oftentimes it covers don't, right? But yeah. even if the even if this is just kind of symbolically tied to what's going on in Slot's story, which I think is really fantastic. Oh yeah. Um I'm excited by it. Well what's so interesting is, you know, it it, it goes back to that thing of how much can you show uh, a mask emoting, you know, like how does Batman's right. brows furrow? But you right. zoom in on this this cover and Iron Man looks so determined, like, but also like, like I don't know. There's just something about the the way that the the how angular the eyes are on the helmet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's so cool. This yeah. is such a great cover. It's it's very cool, and it, you know, it feels like the kinds of things that no one else is around for, but heroes sure. have to do anyway. It's like <laughs> yes. it's like war journalism, right? Like someone's taking a picture of this. Yeah, but in this story, like only Tony's dealing with that stuff. Right, right. And, like, we don't get to see or think about it often, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of losing the thread of what I'm trying to say, but I think it's it's, it's just really cool. It's a really cool yeah. moment that feels like a perfect snapshot of a bigger fight. You know what? It re- that reminds me of... Uh yeah, it is. It is. And I, I see what you're saying. It's one of those things where it's like this is this is the life of a superhero. This is not something that anyone else would have privy to. Um, and it's just like this is this is I'm in the trenches with this. There's a there's a moment in uh, Batman Returns that's kind of like that. It's very weird tangent. Uh, but I, I was listening to um, uh, one of Kevin Smith's podcasts and he says it's the single best moment in one of the live action Batman movies. And it's after Batman has dodged a missile that's been shot at him by a little penguin with a rocket pack. <laughs> And he just kind of looks in the rearview mirror for a second. And he's like, it is Batman saying, my life is fucked up. Like, yeah, what the like, fuck? Right. Like, yeah. This is what this is what happened. And this is Tony. Like, yeah, I guess I'm holding this dragon's mouth open today. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Gotta do it. this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So time for our next segment. And yeah. Since our guest host, I'm going to okay. put you under the dragon's fire. <laughs> um, this one is called Treasure or Treasure It. All right. So I'm going nice to pick a DC character for you. Okay. okay. And then um, you're going to trash it or treasure it based on a coin toss. Okay. So, so even if I love the character, but the coin says I have to trash it. it. Oh, gosh. It. Yeah. Okay. Um, or you got to, you know, if it's the most despicable villain in the entire DC universe, you got to uh-huh. find something lovable about him. <laughs> Joker has a nice smile. <laughs> 
Um, someone must have told him to smile all the time, and he took it to heart. <laughs> um, okay, so do you want heads to be trash or treasure? Uh, treasure. Okay, so your character is going to be okay. Bizarro. Oh, fantastic. Okay. And I'm going to flip the coin now. You, <laughs> you have to treasure Bizarro. That is not difficult. Uh, Bizarro is minutes. the best. Um, so Bizarro is, it, it doesn't matter which version you're talking about. If you're talking about, uh, you know, failed clone of Superman, uh, pre-crisis, or if you're talking about uh, the one that's lumber, that lumbered around in Justice League for a little while with Lex Luthor as his best buddy, or if you're talking about, uh, you know, the one who owns his own planet and builds recreations of uh, all those superheroes, I... There's something so fun about the character when he's done in in any version of it. It, it. There's somewhere they play him as completely either dumb as a rock or as this tragic character. It works both ways. Um, mm, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he is like uh, my my favorite version of Bizarro would be the one from the uh, Superman the animated series where they 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 strike this really perfect balance between both interpretations, where it's so easy to pity him because he doesn't understand that what he's the way he goes through the world is wrong. He doesn't understand that he's not Superman for the longest time, but he's also played for laughs in that he'll say stuff to like in justice league, he'll ask Lex Luthor, uh, am you Bizarro's mommy? Like there's, he's, he's a character <laughs> right. that, that perfectly like toes the line between being, uh, a, a punchline and this, uh, Frankenstein's monster that is to be, you know, pitied and protected. Um, It's a character that'll lend itself to a comedy series or, you know, to whatever happened to the man of tomorrow where he goes on a killing spree. Um, I think it's just such a, it's a versatile character. That's not, not often used in, He's 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 so often used as either either a punchline or a tragic figure, not often both. And I think that it's really it's a really interesting thing that his his character lends itself to uh, you know, the kind of body horror stories where he's falling apart like in uh, John Burns Man of Steel or mm-hmm. uh or, or you know, comedic uh, who did the um there was that Bizarro series from a couple of years ago where he was like hanging out with Jimmy Olsen all the time. That was super oh, fun. I uh, I couldn't tell you. I know what you're talking about though. But yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I think that that's that's a that makes for a good character when he's that versatile. I mean, you know, people always talk about how you can drop Batman into any setting and he'll work. I think Bizarro is the same thing. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think uh, just to kind of piggyback for a second mm-hmm. to get to get my speaking time. Also, please. <laughs> I think that he's a great example of. Oftentimes, a character like we think we're so above something, we think we're so smart, and something yeah. so dumb that it can't possibly undermine us. Mm-hmm. But like the things that we think can't possibly undermine us often see our faults mm-hmm. because they're outsiders. Yeah, um, you know, like children are this way, <laughs> yes. where, where they'll be like, "Well, why not?" 
and you're yeah. like, oh, I don't know. There's a purity <laughs> to Bizarro. Right. Yeah. Um, that it just kind of unpacks the entire weird, existential, large superheroism of it all. Which is why it doesn't work in, like, when he was adapted for Smallville and he's played just as a straight-up villain. You know, right. where it's like, oh, evil Clark is not nearly as interesting as misunderstood, you know, broken Clark, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a great character. No, I think he's very well done. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so that brings us just to the end of the show. We have yes. one more segment. Okay. Which is the off-topic top shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, like two or three minutes to talk about something that you have been loving that is not comic books, since I feel okay. like we have talked those to death. We Take have. It away. Um, so lately, I mean, I say lately like this hasn't been my entire life, but uh, I... I've been uh, rewatching all of the James Bond films uh, cool. from the beginning. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I got the uh, the box set a little while back, uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with me being uh, very cautiously optimistic for the new movie, um, especially with Phoebe Waller Bridge working on the script. I just been kind of revisiting them and and uh, and enjoying the. It is so strange to be able to watch filmmaking change. Um, just, uh, you know, the the early films, they, they have a very, like, almost plodding pace. I still enjoy them quite a bit, but it is like the early James Bond movies are almost like travel logs that happen to have spy action in them. Mm, um, so there will mm-hmm. be, like, whole sequences where you're watching... Uh, you know, someone, someone dancing and that's like 10 minutes of this. And it's just like, Oh, uh, it's like the people complained about long shots like that in the third season of twin peaks. Oh, um, sure. And, and people, people that have watched older stuff like this had to be like, well, that's how film was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then David Lynch saw, David Lynch saw someone uh, belly dancing and Dr. No and was like, I could do this, but with a guy sweeping up glass. In the <laughs> that's ex- the exact scene I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it is, uh, yeah, it is, it is strange. Like the, uh, the, and then you get, you get further along in the movies in the eighties. That's more, uh, about, uh, uh, like this, the, uh, well, the first Roger Moore movie, live and let die almost feels like the bond movies answer to shaft or, or like the mm, kind of movies that were happening at the time. Sure, Informed by the time. Yeah, sure. And then, uh, you know, though that one in man of the golden gun have like a, uh, hillbilly sheriff because you know smoking the bandit was huge uh and then you move on to the 80s and they're getting into like the drug trade uh, like license to kill might as well be a michael mann film that has james <laughs> sure. bond in it uh and then you know by the time you reach the 2000s the movies are full of techno music and slow motion and weird like you know cgi shots um but it, it is dubstep. It, yeah. There's yeah. And there's, I can't yeah. think of any other franchise where you can literally watch the industry change through them. Um, like uh, mm-hmm. you get to um, uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service is like the the one that's commonly singled out as the one that only like George Lazenby was Bond one time. So people are like, oh, that's that's supposed to be the bad James Bond, but it's it's shot in a way that nothing else coming out at that time was, was being filmed or edited. There's cutting, they cut on action. They zoom in during fights and it's, it's very uh, kinetic style that most directors, even, you know, brilliant directors like Orson Welles would never think to cut while someone's moving. 
Um, and now you you know you fast forward to the Jason Bourne movies, and it's all quick cuts and shaky cam. It's all and, that, yeah, yeah, and it's it's it really feels like the Bond franchise sort of shepherded, uh, you know, the the film industry in a lot of ways, shooting on lo- on specific locations and pressing for these you know bigger wider shots and these incredible map paintings and uh miniature you know model work uh you know the star wars films wouldn't have existed without the kind of stuff that went into the james bond films right um sure do you have a favorite i oh wow um i I just i was literally like i do no um (laughs) actually honestly honor majesty's secret service might be my favorite just because it's such an it's such an outlier and it's uh i think diana rigg is incredible in it uh i'm also a big fan of the uh the uh, avengers the british tv series so i i think she's just the coolest um for a more modern one probably casino royale just because really? uh, yeah Interesting. and i, and I okay. know that that's that's kind of a uh, that's kind of a divisive pick because it's um i think quantum would be the most divisive that's true sure. yeah quantum here's a hot take quantum is fine if you've watched casino royale very recently yes agreed. but on its own it's not it's not very a good strong. No, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Um, it, it's shot incredibly well, but it yeah. it's uh, it yeah. the script problems are very evident. Uh, but also, again, Casino Royale really works for me because it was actively trying to buck trends, uh, and I think uh, Ava Green is also fantastic. Yeah, awesome. I would say I love Goldeneye for nostalgia. It was the first yes. one I saw. Super fun. Um, but Skyfall is my favorite. Skyfall's great. Uh, you know, there's been a little bit of a, I feel like there's been a little bit of a pushback against Skyfall in the last few years. And I don't know really? if that's just because. I'm, I don't run in the same circles, as <laughs> um, which is my own mind. That's fair. keeping my opinions. <laughs> I think it, I think it has a lot to do with kind of Daniel Craig's attitude in uh, interviews and stuff. And oh, his, sure. his seeming like reluctance to continue with the yeah, franchise. I mean, that's kind of external to it all, I guess. Yes. But yeah, sure. As a film itself, I think it's fantastic. It also, um, if I had to pick the best Bond theme, I think Skyfall is hands yeah, down the it's best. Yeah, so good. Um, yeah. Also, that's the other thing is while I work, while I'm working lately, I've been putting on, I have a playlist of all of the Bond themes that I just put on Shuffle. Mm. And uh, it's so fun to work to because there's so... They, they really switch it up a lot. Um, and the only one I really have to skip is the Madonna song. So I think I'm doing good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's going to do it for us, folks. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us, Nathan. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Um, if you liked the show, please feel free to share it with your friends. Please subscribe. Please write a review for us on Apple iTunes. Um, I can't express how much that helps shows. hmm um, that it pushes them higher up in feeds for categories and stuff. We're mm-hmm. in the games and hobby category, so that helps a lot. It's obviously a big category. And um, say specifically that you liked the Nathan episode. Yeah. Um, bring me back as and a we'll, recurring we'll guest back, character. Yeah. <laughs> Dial 1-800-NATHAN. Yeah. Um, which I own, apparently. Oh, fantastic. Um, but, yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, also, happy Pride Month. I yes. Am I am queer as fuck, and um, all comics that come out this month are also queer as fuck. I don't make the rules. Um, That's just how it is. That's that's the world. (laughs) Um, So that's it. See ya. Later.